0: All right. C12, how you doing? Yes? So good. I love baptisms. Don't y'all love that? I mean, I love it. Some of you came here tonight and you didn't know that you're going to be getting baptized, but you are. So get ready for that. All right. I'm going to, we're going to talk for just a few minutes. I'm going to do like a abbreviated, short, tiny teaching on what salvation of baptism is. Because I don't really know that we do this often, and I know that we kind of know what baptism is, but do we really have a deep understanding? And what's the big deal anyway? If I don't need it to be saved, if I don't need it in my life, then why, why is it such a thing? Well, I'm gonna hopefully be able to unpack that for you. So we are literally just gonna jump right in into scripture. We're gonna go to the book of Acts, which by the way, if, if you've never read the book of Acts. And you wonder what the church is supposed to look like. Holy shnikes, you should read Acts. And I'm filtering. I mean, I, I'm, you should read Acts. Like, the stuff that happened in the church when Jesus started the church is like, would seem crazy to us. But it's actually supposed to still be happening. The church today is still supposed to tell the same kind of stories it did in Acts. Acts was, it's amazing. You read the book of Acts. Um, start with the book of John, then read Exodus, and then read Acts. Okay, here we go. That's outside the teaching. But let's go into Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. You can use it on your mobile device. If you're using your mobile device, um, I'm using the NASB version today. Um, hey, how about that? That's not, I did not anticipate that. But okay. Um, and we're going to be talking about a man named Philip. Philip was an apostle. Uh, follower of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He's mentioned like three times. It's actually several times in the book of Acts. This is a story uh, between Philip and an Ethiopian man. So let's jump in. Verse 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Isn't that fascinating? An angel talks to Philip, get up and go. And he says, okay. I mean, these are the things that happen. Don't y'all, do you ever pray that this kind of a thing would happen to you and you don't know what to do? An angel would show up a neon sign, some kind of writing on the wall, but an angel shows up, go, and south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert road, so he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Two things about this man I want you to know. First thing is this, this man was very powerful and this man was very pious. Powerful and pious. Pious just means very religious. He was in charge of all the money for the entire Ethiopian kingdom that was ruled by Candace. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship and participate in this big religious festival that would take place. He followed the religious rules. He did what he was supposed to. He was an incredibly powerful man. And now he's sitting in his chariot along the side of the road reading the prophet Isaiah. And because Philip heard him, we can assume he was reading out loud. All right? So reading out loud from Isaiah. He was powerful and pious. The other thing I want you to know, and you got to read between the lines of Scripture to understand this. Whenever you study Scripture, it's always great to understand what what was happening in the culture of that day. So let me give that to you because not only was he powerful and pious, this man was very lonely and hopeless. How do we know he's lonely and hopeless? One word in that passage, the word eunuch. Does anyone know what a eunuch is? Not sure, let me, Okay. Let me tell you, in as diplomatic of a way as I can. The king of the kingdom often liked to have eunuchs around as servants. And the king would make it impossible for them to engage in any activities where they might be tempted or even have the ability to encounter someone sexually of the opposite sex. So the king would remove the body part that was required in order to connect with someone sexually. And if that happened to you, you were called a eunuch. Are we tracking? Do I need to draw on the whiteboard? I mean, are we good? All right. Do not say yes, because I'm not doing it. I'm not drawing it. All right. It ensured that these men were never a threat to the royal marriage. They were never a threat to the other female servants. And in a day and time where children and having children was viewed as favor from God, and if you didn't have children, people believed that God was angry with you. You were actually um, deemed unfit from culture and could be cut off from the acceptance of your community. So in a day where children were viewed as gifts from the Lord, the possibility of receiving such a gift had been taken from this man, and it's dishonoring. So he had money, position, power, and religion, yet he lived an empty life. Can you see this? This is this man, powerful and pious, lonely and hopeless. Let's move on. Verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, "Do you understand what you are reading?" And he said, so the Ethiopian said, "Well, how could I unless someone guides me?" And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. To have heard this man reading scripture out loud would not have been so weird. It was actually a very common occurrence for people to read scriptures out loud. But Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, I don't know, how could I, unless someone teaches me? So no one had ever taught him what the words that he was reading even meant. He's just following the rules. He's just going through the motions. He's just checking the boxes. So this man confesses to having knowledge without understanding. He confesses to knowledge without know-how. There's a very big difference between knowing something and understanding and then believing something. And he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and he's going to read that book very differently than how we read it. He's reading it as prophecy that hasn't yet been fulfilled. So he's reading about a Messiah, and he's reading about a Savior that he believes has not shown up yet. But Philip knows differently, and we know differently. When we read the book of Isaiah, we know what happened. We understand that Jesus came. We know the full story. This man doesn't yet. Verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture, which he was reading, was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? So he wants to know who Isaiah is talking about. When it says, he was led like a sheep to slaughter Basically, the invitation to Philip, now he doesn't know this, but Philip hears that is, hey, tell me about Jesus, right? Who is this lamb led to slaughter? Who is this person? Oh, you want to know about Jesus? Let me tell you. Let me read that very same version in the message. In fact, if scripture is something that when you jump into it, it just seems so difficult and hard to understand, let me just tell you, get a version of the Bible called the message and just jump into that. All right, but here is that very same verse in the message. It says this. As a sheep led to slaughter, and quiet as a lamb being sheared, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial. But who now can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? So Philip describes Jesus here in the passage as this, as a man led to slaughter who did not protest. He was mocked, tried, and sentenced unfairly, but now his kin, his family, were too many to count. So knowing the eunuch's circumstance, can you see why this man is clinging to the hope read in this passage? A man led to slaughter. A man that had, whose family had been taken away from him. A man who had no choice. So the, so the eunuch reads this and he's like, who is this? Who is this man? Have you ever had a verse in the scripture that you cling to? Or just something that you cling to in a time when you don't really feel like you have hope? Okay, I'm going to tell you this, and it may sound weird to you. I don't know. I don't care. This is just true. There have been, there's been more than one moment in my life when I didn't really want to read the Bible. I didn't really want to pray, but I needed hope, and I needed Jesus, and I knew Jesus was the only one that could fix it, but I didn't want to get into his word. And there have been moments in my life when I would just lay in bed, put the Bible in bed with me, and go to sleep. Just clinging to the presence of his word. Knowing there was something in it that was true and real. And I believed in God and knew he could help me. But I just didn't have the energy to dive into it. And so I would just hold on to it. Sometimes we just cling to things in hope. Because there's this part of us that believes it can do something. And this man is clinging to this verse in hope that it actually means something, and that maybe the man it's talking about might come to earth sooner rather than later. Maybe if this is who the Messiah is, a sheep led to slaughter, silent, mocked and tried, but then yet was still able to have a family, maybe if this is who the Messiah is, he will understand me, he will know me, and maybe he could make family possible for me too. And Philip was about to tell him that everything he hoped for was real. The verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached what? Jesus. He preached Jesus. Do you know there's power in the name of Jesus? Do you know that scripture says the very name of Jesus causes demons to flee? There is power just in his name. So he preached Jesus to him. You know, it doesn't even tell us what Philip said. The passage doesn't even go into, oh, and here's how he laid it out, and here's how he made it understandable, and here's the easel that he brought in, and here's the diagram that he laid out, and there was this bridge. He didn't do any of that. It doesn't tell us. We just know he preached Jesus. I don't know. If I try and imagine it, Uh, Maybe it went a little something like Jesus. This is a guy. He was born of a virgin. He grew up and later was baptized as an adult. He was a miracle worker, compassion giver, savior, crucified. He was resurrected. He's the final atonement for our sins. He paid the consequence of death that we might not have to. And he had to die and come back to life because only he has the power to defeat death, only him. He entirely fulfilled the law, ushering in a new way of living from law to love. He took 613 Jewish commandments and reduced them to two, love God and love each other. This is who Jesus is. He's better than any hope of a new government. He is better than any hope of new schools. He's better than any hope of more money, any hope of more fame, any hope of more friends. Jesus is better than anything in this life from the power and position that you have, sir. He is better and can fulfill your loneliness and your heartache. He can give you family. He can offer to you what you've been longing for. Religion only offers words, you guys. Religion says, do this, do this, and do this, and you're good. That is not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to say, no more religion. I'm here for relationship. Try and imagine this man. Someone comes to him and says, this guy, Jesus, the Messiah, wants a relationship with you. And you get to be part of a family forever. Uh, There's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred. When you hope for something and it doesn't come and it doesn't come and it doesn't come and it doesn't come, right? You want something and it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and it doesn't happen and your heart just grows weary. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. It brings you joy. It brings you hope. I don't know if any of your hearts are weary today. I don't know if you have some unfulfilled longing or some unfulfilled desire, some unfulfilled hope. Philip was able to tell this man that everything he longed for and hoped for could be given to him in Jesus. That Jesus changes everything. So Philip preached Jesus, and then verse 36, as they went along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said, "Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized?" 37, and Philip said, if you, what, believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Immediately, he was baptized. Let me tell you two things baptism is. One, it's this, a public declaration of salvation. A public declaration of salvation. The man said, how do I get baptized? Philip says, if you believe. If you believe then you may. So belief and then baptism. Baptism is this outward symbol of an inward decision. It's the same reason I wear a wedding ring, right? I wear a wedding ring. It says I'm married. Now, if I went to my husband and I said, eh, I'm out. I don't want to wear it anymore. I mean, we could stay married and everything. I just don't want really anyone to see that. I feel like he would look at me and say, pardon, excuse me? You, you want to be married, you just don't want to wear the public symbol that declares that you're married, that anyone you would ever talk to would know you're married? You're telling me you don't want to wear that? And I would say, yeah, I don't have to wear it to be married, technically. I mean, I don't have to go home to be married, do I? It sure helps. This is what baptism is. Baptism is putting the ring on. Baptism is saying, I don't want to just know that I am devoted to Christ. I don't want to just know that I've made a decision for him. I want everybody to know. I'm going to go in front of my peers and my friends and people I don't even know and make a public declaration that from this moment forward, the old is gone and the new has come. It's putting the ring on. We do this with all kinds of things. We have wedding ceremonies. We have graduation ceremonies. We move the tassel. We do this with so many things symbolically, and we can't wait for it. Why is it that we won't do this? I don't want to get wet. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to whisk my makeup up. I mean, I... Baptism is a public declaration of salvation. It is not salvation. Let me be, let me be clear on that. Because there is a teaching that says if you're baptized, that is when you're saved. No, no. You are saved when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. You are, you are saved when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and say, I'm with you forever and always. And then you do this. But see, this water is not holy. Jesus who's who makes you Holy. And this, I don't know your background. Some of you probably come from a background that would say that this is holy water. It's not. I mean, I wouldn't even drink it if I were you. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's not doing anybody any good. but because Jesus makes us holy and his death and resurrection declared that we could be holy and be in the presence of God, that the veil was removed and we could stand before him, don't you think that we should be brave enough to just go under the water and publicly declare our faith? It's a public declaration of commitment, not just us of salvation, but also of commitment. It says to those with you, I'm all in on this. And because it's a declaration of commitment, it must be your decision. I don't know, maybe some of you were baptized as babies. Maybe some of you when you were younger had a parent or a friend or a teacher kind of make you feel like you had to. It was never really your decision. Maybe you don't even really remember why you did it. Here's what I want to say to you. It's your relationship with Jesus. It is your decision. It cannot be anyone else's decision because it's a a declaration of commitment. And no one else can make a commitment for you. You have to make the commitment. Notice that when the man said, Hey, how can I be baptized? Philip didn't go, Oh, you know what? You don't need to. It's okay. You know what? Don't worry about it. You're saved. You need to be. He didn't say that, did he? And we don't even know who was there. There could have been nobody there. There could have been a lot of people there. We just know it was him and Philip. And maybe Philip was the only like, witness that needed to be there. I don't know. But the man was sure determined. Do you know that in the beginning of Acts, it says that 3,000 people came to know Christ on the very first day the, the church was established? And do you know that it says those 3,000 people were immediately baptized? Immediately baptized. We become Christians and then like 10 years later we go, I don't know, is it convenient? Like I don't know. I mean, is that going to work? I mean, this is what we do. Do you know Jesus was baptized? Jesus was baptized. Here's what it looked like in the Book of Matthew. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. Can you imagine Jesus saying, "Baptize me"? When you go, yeah, I don't think so. I mean. (laughs) feel like you should baptize me, but Jesus started talking him out of it. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God, what, requires, not suggests, not hopes, not even wants, all that he requires. So John agreed to baptize him after his baptism. As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Do not miss this. Jesus obeyed the father, got into the water, went down and came up and the Holy Spirit descended. Jesus did not perform a miracle. He did nothing supernatural before that day. When the Holy Spirit descended, it was from that day forward that Jesus became the miracle worker. It was from that day forward that he became the compassion giver and the teacher and the rabbi. Because that is what you need in order to live a supernatural life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And Jesus knew that, and so he was obedient. Here's what I want to show you. We know that in the church, statistically, um, that we have a lot of people experience salvation. We have a lot of people that say yes to Jesus. Maybe you walked forward, maybe you filled out a card, maybe you weren't in a church service, maybe you were in your car, maybe you were at a camp. I don't know where you were, but somewhere along the way perhaps you said yes to Jesus. Maybe there are some of you in this room that have not yet said yes to Jesus and tonight will be your night, but many of us have. We know statistically, and we have data, that roughly 50% of those say yes to baptism. What? 50%, 50% say yes to baptism after salvation. That should blow our minds. God requires it. Jesus did it. We want the power of the Holy Spirit within us and to work through us. And we won't even say yes to getting what? And don't we pray for all the big stuff in our lives? Oh, Lord, bring me the Blessings. Lord, if you could just do this for me, if you could just bring this into my life, if you could just show me the way, Jesus, I'm with you. And I think the whole time he's going, you want all the big stuff, you won't even do the little stuff. But you know what? I don't have a stat for this. I don't have a number. But I know it's a lot less live down here. And what I would call a full life Freed up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, living out your gifts, living out your talents, living in health, waking up with joy. And so, what you do when you can't get here, maybe you were baptized and you just get saved again. Some of you have been saved 722 times, right? You just keep giving your life back to Jesus, don't you? I mean, I know we laugh, but isn't it true? Isn't it true we think, I just need to pray another prayer. I just need to give my life to Jesus again. I just need to get saved again. I just need to walk forward again. This is what I need to do. No, you don't. You're trying to recover a moment where you felt something. You're trying to recover. You're trying to return to something you don't have to try and return to. You just have to say yes to the next. And by saying yes to the next, you won't recover. You will renew. You will renew the emptiness in your soul and you will begin to step forward. But you got to take this step. You know, actually, I've seen people be here, make a mistake, and they've gotten baptized again. Just try not for any bad reason? Just trying to find God again. He's with you. He hasn't lost you. But where do you find yourself in this? Do you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time? Have you never had a conversation with him? You know you have to have a conversation with him. You have to tell him you want a relationship with him. You have to not just believe in your heart. You have to confess with your mouth. You ha- this is a must. You have to do this. He, it's like, does anyone know you want a relationship with him if you don't tell them? It's like, you know, when you want to date someone, they don't know you want to date them unless you tell them. And you can't go, like, to Jesus' friends and ask them if he likes you. He does. <laughs> he likes you. He loves you. He wants to know if you like him. You have to tell him. So maybe that is some of you. You need to do what that man did, and you need to go, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead for me, and I commit the rest of my life to him. And that's where you need to begin today. But then those of you who begin there today, you're going to do this today. And some of you who've done this a long time ago, you need to do this today. And we've made it easy for you because we're going to sing a song together here in a moment. So will I. Isn't that appropriate? So will I. So will I say yes to Jesus. So will I get baptized. You're going to do this. And as we sing that song. If tonight is the night that you want to make Jesus Lord of your life for the first time. If tonight is the night that you want to get baptized. During that song you're just going to exit the aisle. You're going to go back to this corner. Um, They're back there and they'll talk you through it. We'll do your baptism tonight. We've got shorts and t-shirts dry and towels that you can change into. So um, we're prepared in that way for you. But it's your decision tonight. Like the Ethiopian man, no matter what is given to you or taken from you, nothing can satisfy you or save you like Jesus. His way is the best way, not the easiest way. Did Did the unit go back to the palace and have to stand back in his service and his job? Yes. Yes, he did. Their circumstance didn't change. What did change? Inside. His hope and his joy changed. The way of Jesus is not always the easiest, but it is the best. So now you have not just knowledge, but you have understanding. What will you do? I want you to bow your heads with me. If you would like to give your life to Jesus for the very first time tonight, if you would like to begin the relationship, if you've never said to him, yes, I'm going to pray out loud and in the quietness of your seat, you can just pray along with me. And you don't have to use the prayer that I'm praying. You can use your own words. You can absolutely say what you would like to say. I'm just going to offer you a suggestion. But if you wanna make that decision, simply repeat after me in your seat. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. I don't have all the answers, but I commit the rest of my life to you and I trust that you will show me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me so much that you're talking to me in this moment, right now. In your name I pray, amen.